Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In John chapter 16, Jesus declared, quote, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus guaranteed that we would have trouble and difficulty in this life. He also told us that we have the opportunity to have genuine peace in him. Are you experiencing the peace of God offered only in Jesus Christ our Lord? Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 16 and look at this incredible opportunity we have to have genuine peace in this life in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome to another teaching. It's a Wednesday morning here in Texas, and hopefully y'all are just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, and uh, growing to love him, growing to obey him, growing to experience life in Jesus more and more and more and more. That is the, the meaning of life. Uh, it's the reason we live, is to, uh, to grow to know Jesus more, to walk with him more intimately. And the more we do that, the more we will truly experience what this life was meant to be. So, well, it's a good day today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, by the mercy of Christ. Stephen informed me that this would be a, a teaching number 200. We started doing these teachings, I don't know, uh, like three and a half years ago, not quite three and a half years. I think it was, what, January 2019. And, um, you know, here we are at teaching number 200. So Jesus, we just thank you. Father, we thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. We thank you for, for the, the, the absolute privilege it is for us to, to not only have our Bible and to study our Bible and to be fed in our Bible, but then the, the privilege to teach the scriptures, Father, is, um, is a privilege that, um, that Father, I, I, I believe I take not serious enough, Lord. I, I thank you for the for your mercy and enabling us to teach the word of God, Father. And I, and I do ask you to to help me, Father, to 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 just continue to take it with a gravity and a in a seriousness that uh, that it deserves. And I ask you to forgive me where I have indeed fallen short of that, Father. We just worship you and we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace and in, in our lives and. Father, we just thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us these words, Lord, when you're just hours from your crucifixion. We thank you for coming and living a perfect life for us, dying a torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today and we worship you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Again, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for the 200 teachings that you've, you've blessed us with. We thank you for the privilege to study your word, to read your word, to obey your word, and the, and the great privilege it is to, to teach your word. We love you and we bless you today, Father. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so we're in John 16. We're going to finish the chapter today, Lord willing, verses 23 to 33. So John 16, verse 23, Jesus speaking. 
In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's a, uh, that's a heavy statement right there, huh, May? Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now he's been speaking to them since John 13, right? Um, so it's 13, 14, 15, 16. In chapter 17, he's going to pray. Um, and all of this started at the Last Supper in chapter 13, where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And then the rest of this has been, you know, while they were getting ready to leave the Last Supper, while they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's giving them all these words. And again, we've said this over and over. It's incredible that he's hours from his crucifixion and he's still building them up. He's hours from being tortured. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to become sin. And yet he's continuing to, to serve his disciples. Again, and it's a, it's a picture for us of how we really need to, 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 you know, to live for Christ, not only when our circumstances are enjoyable and pleasant, but even when they're difficult. Again, to give our best when we're at our worst, so to speak, right? Oswald Chambers said, our utmost for his highest, giving our best for, for the glory of, in, of Jesus, right? Um, but in verse 33, he says, I have told you these things. So all of these things I've been saying to you, he says, so that in me you may have peace. Look at the next sentence. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. So Jesus guaranteed that we would have trouble, difficulty, hardship, trials, right? He just said it. In this world, you will have trouble. But before that, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So trouble and difficulty and trial, Stephen, is a, is a, is a certainty because Jesus said you will have it. But he said that in Christ, in him, we may have peace. So where trouble is guaranteed, 
peace is not guaranteed. And, you know, and just studying for this and preparing for this, that is, that really is all, that's unfortunate, right? Because I rather what Jesus has said, truth be told, that, that I, w- I wish he would have said, in this world, you will have peace and, and go on to say that you may have trouble. But that's not what he said. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. So again, trouble and difficulty and trial, Susan, is guaranteed. But peace is not guaranteed, right? Because Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So having peace is is not something that's guaranteed. And in, in, in genuine peace can only come in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It begins with, with, with knowing Jesus and receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Have you and are you trusting in Jesus Christ presently for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus? What does that mean? The scriptures are clear. Romans 3.23 says that every human being falls short of God's holy standard. We're all sinful. We're hopeless. We're helpless. We're desperate. We need a savior and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves to even help save ourselves. Nothing we do good will take away our sin. We're hopeless. Out of that position, believing what the scripture says, that we are in hopeless and desperate need of a savior, we believe that the Bible is true, that Jesus is the son of God, and that he came into this world, became a human man, lived a perfect life on earth for you and me, died a torturous, perfect death for you and me, and that he is alive and risen today. And from that place, Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. From that place of desperation, from that place of knowing your hopelessness and helplessness, you simply call out to Jesus. It's not our words that save us. It's Christ that saves us. But but, but it's, it's our words that we use to communicate our faith, right? That we communicate to the Lord and just call out to him and say, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinful person. I know I cannot save myself. I am hopeless, helpless. I'm desperate. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I believe you did come into this world and live a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me, Lord, and I believe you are alive and risen today. Therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's a Christian. That's someone who's genuinely given their life to Christ. They've received him as their Lord and Savior. They're trusting and relying in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. Now, as a Christian with Jesus living in you, 
Now you have the opportunity to have peace. Okay. So number one, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you cannot have any genuine, authentic peace ever. Because Jesus said that he said all of these things and he's came and, and done what he did so that in him we would have peace, right? I believe it's, it's, it's in Romans 5 that, that Paul said that, that in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God the Father, right? Uh, Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, justified means we've been declared not guilty of sin and righteous before God. And that happens when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in a way like we just talked about. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now that's Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Without Jesus Christ, we're separated from God, right? Isaiah 59, um, that our sins have separated us from the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we are actually, we are enemies of God, right? It's a, it's, it's a remarkable thing that, that, that we were his enemies. Let's go back to that Romans 5. Um, I just thought of this. Um, he says in verse 6, Romans 5, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Verse 10, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Verse 11, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If you're not in Jesus Christ today, you are actually an enemy of God the Father. You're under the wrath of God the Father. And I say this all the time. I know that sounds harsh, but you, you see that I just read it. I read it from the scriptures. So the most loving thing we can do is to implore people to give their lives to Jesus Christ, to be saved from the wrath of God, and that peace with God, that reconciliation with God the Father can only happen in Jesus Christ, right? I don't know the Lord got me jumping all over here today. Um, go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I didn't plan any of this. Um, verse 20, okay? Paul is, is uh, 
is talking about in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you see Paul imploring the people to be reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we have peace with God the Father. We're at peace with him instead of being at, at war with him. That's why we that's why we talk about these things. That's why we exhort these things in such certain and forceful manner because we don't want anyone to spend eternity separated from God, the triune God, in hell because they didn't understand this. So if it makes sense, it's the most loving thing we can do to urge and to exhort and to implore people to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and to be reconciled to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in and through Jesus Christ, right? Now, again, we have peace with God once we've done that, but Jesus is saying we can also have peace in this world. Verse 33, back to John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I, I have overcome the world. It's a very forceful statement. He says, he has not yet been tortured. He has not yet gone to the cross. He hasn't been crucified. He hasn't been killed. And yet with certainty, he says, I have overcome the world. It's, uh, it's powerful. So as a Christian, one who has received Jesus Christ, still it's only in Christ that we can have genuine peace. And if we're honest with ourselves, generally, almost exclusively, our peace very much seems to run with our circumstances. If our circumstances are as we like, then, then generally we have peace. If we have our finances the way we like and our relationships the way we like and our health the way we like, then, then generally that's what brings us peace. But that's a worldly peace based on circumstances. The more we grow in our devotion and our walk with Jesus Christ, Esther, the more, the more real peace you'll have even in spite of your circumstances. And as I said, that's not a guarantee. Even as a Christian, Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. And again, that peace comes in Christ as we're deeply walking in relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 23, he says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So they have been speaking to Jesus as he was walking the earth. He's been with them for three and a half years. Remember, Jesus began his ministry at age 30. He was crucified at around 33 and a half. And so he's had these disciples for around three and a half years now. And they've been asking him for everything because he's with them physically. So when he says in that day, you will no longer ask me anything, the time had ended for him, for them to ask him things in this world. Now the time will come for them to pray and to ask God the Father 
to ask him, God the Son, Jesus, God. They were asking him when he walked the earth. He was the God-man. Now he would, he would die on the cross. He'd be resurrected from the dead. And then he would ascend to heaven. And now you're not going to ask Jesus, he's telling them, anything physically in this life anymore. He says, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And so when we pray, right, we can pray to any member of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, we do not pray to people. We do not pray to past people who have died. Even the incredible people of the Bible, the saints of the Bible, there's a belief in some denominations that, that, you know, that some of the, the great Christians that have ever lived, even the Christians that are in the Bible, that we ask them and then they go and ask Jesus or the Father or the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's, just, not a, it's just not a biblical practice, right? If you're in Jesus Christ today, God the Father is your heavenly Father and you have direct access to him. Obviously, if you're in Jesus, you have direct access to him and to the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit who lives in you, right? And so he, he says, I tell you the truth, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Now, again, what does he mean in my name? He's not going to be there to ask him physically. But when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. That means, number one, to pray in Jesus' name means to pray according to the merits and righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're basically saying, Father, I don't deserve to have you hear my prayers or answer my prayers but I pray in Jesus' name, based on what Jesus has done, based on the finished work of the cross of Christ, based on the merits and righteousness of Jesus Christ, I ask you to hear my prayer and answer my prayer. So that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. That's why you don't pray in your own name. That's why you don't you know, end your prayers. I pray all this in Scott's name. I pray all this in Jose's name, right? No, we only pray in the name of Jesus because it's Jesus that gave his life on the cross. It's based on the merits and the works and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our place and on our behalf that we, that we pray any prayers to the triune God. Does that make sense? Now to, now, to, now to pray in Jesus' name also means to pray according to the heart and the will and the ways of Jesus, right? When we pray in Jesus' name, it has to be according to his will, in his heart, in his ways. So again, to give you an example, to say, Lord Jesus, I pray you give me a million dollars today. Again, that's, uh, you know, just to have, because I like to have more money. That's not a prayer that's going to be in the will of Jesus Christ. Lord, you know, I, I, I like to have more money in the bank. I'd like to be more comfortable. So could you have a million dollars deposited in the bank? That's not how he works, right? So to pray in Jesus' name also means to pray according to his will his heart, his desires, his ways, right? Verse 24, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. They didn't have to ask in Jesus' name because Jesus was right there with them, right? He says, ask and you will, will receive, verse 24, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. It's interesting that apparently we cannot have complete joy without having a meaningful prayer life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Because look what he says here. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. 
Again, they haven't asked in his name because he was there with them physically. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So again, joy can only come in Christ and apparently complete joy only comes in a growing in maturing and flourishing prayer life. Um, prayer in, when we pray, obviously we're asking the Lord for things, but we also to also have a lifestyle of thanksgiving, right? We ought to consistently be given thanks, Dustin, right? For just for all the blessings in our lives and for the Lord's care for us. So we ought to praise and worship Jesus, right? These things ought to be a lifestyle. It's good to do it on church. It's Sunday morning, but it ought to be a daily lifestyle of having prayer and thanksgiving and praise and worship, right? And according to Jesus, this will lead to complete joy as we learn to ask in his name based on what he's done according to his will and his ways. And then our prayers will be answered. And again, answered prayer is a joyful thing. And as Jesus said, this will lead to complete joy. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Verse 25. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. Jesus had had for the last three and a half years, he had been consistently using figurative language. And that was for their benefit and ours as well. You remember last time he said to them, um, where he said, I have much to share with you, more than you can now bear, right? Um, that was in verse what? That was in verse 12, right? Chapter 16, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. So he continually and consistently spoke to the people figuratively and in ways that was best for them. And he says, although he has been doing that, a time is coming when I'll no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. Verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name. Again, when Jesus is taken away, you'll ask in Jesus's name. He says, I'm not saying that I will ask the Father. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, verse 27, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I've came from God. So Jesus is saying you have a relationship with God the Father yourself, okay? You can go and pray to your heavenly father yourself. You don't, now you can go and pray to Jesus. Again, Jesus is your God as well. You can and should pray to Jesus and should pray to the Holy Spirit, but you can go right to God the Father, but it has to be in Jesus' name. Therefore, any prayers that go up to God that, and again, when it says in Jesus' name, it's not just about puppeting the words at the end of a prayer. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. No, it's being in Jesus. Jesus is not talking about legalistically just puppeting in Jesus' name. Again, it's a good thing. Again, most of us as Christians ends our, end our prayers and say, in Jesus' name we pray. And again, that's just us acknowledging that it's based on the merits of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, and the will and the ways and the desire of Christ. But it's not just puppeting the words. It's being in Jesus, having a heart for Jesus. If you don't say the words in Jesus' name, but you have a heart for Christ, you're living in Christ, you're, his, you're a child of God, you're trusting in Christ, then you are praying in Jesus' name. But he says here, and that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. You can go directly to your heavenly Father, 
But again, it's in Jesus' name. You can go directly to Jesus, but it's in Jesus' name or directly to the Holy Spirit, but it's always going to be in Christ. There are no prayers given up to God anywhere in the world outside of Christ. So if you're not in Christ today, or if you're in any other religion besides genuine biblical Christianity, then regrettably, because you're not in Christ, your prayers are not heard by God. And your prayers are not answered. Because Jesus himself, God said, in that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. Why? Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Verse 28, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Um, again, so the words are plain. The words are certain. I say this over and over again as Christians and as those of us who are not Christians. Every person in the world has to deal with Jesus Christ. And when you read his words and you begin to think, actually, just think about the sentences. Just think about the verses. Just think about what he's saying. No one in human history ever spoke like this. It's not ambiguous, right? In that day, you will ask in my name. Okay, so all the prayer needs to be in Jesus' name, whether it's to God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, or God the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. You don't have to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you ask the Father for me? No, you have open relationship to the Father, but only in Jesus. You have open relationship to Jesus, but only in him, in Christ, obviously. And you have open relationship to the Holy Spirit, but only in Jesus. 27 is an interesting verse. He says, no, the Father himself loves you, but why does he say he loves you? No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. It's a pretty strong verse, right? No, God the Father, God the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. Now, again, there is an, there is an aspect of the love of God that is unconditional. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, trusts in him, relies on Jesus, clings to Jesus, shall not perish but have everlasting life, right? But there's a, there's a dimension of the love of God, a deeper dimension that, that's only fulfilled in Christ and can only be in Christ and can only save us from our sin, can only bring us to heaven and clearly can only bring us answered prayer. He says, no, you can go ahead and pray to the Father. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So again, if you have not received Jesus, haven't received his love, don't have any love for Jesus, and don't believe he came from God, then, you're, then no, you have no access to God in prayer. As I said, you are an enemy of God, as we read in Romans 5, what was it, verse 10, if you're not in Jesus Christ today. Verse 28, I came from the Father and entered the world. Pretty bold statement, right? Who talks like this? I came from the Father. That's Jesus saying, I, me, God the Son, came from heaven. 
came from the Father, came in agreement with the Father. Him and the Father are always on the same page, right? I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. The statements are certain. Again, who, who talks like this? No one in history ever spoke like this, except this guy, because he is the God-man. He is God. I was studying, uh, you know, I was studying for this, and I forget what to which one of the scholars might have been quoting Spurgeon. Um, but Jesus was God, and he added humanity to it when he when he came into the world, right? Then he would leave his humanity behind when he leaves the world again and go back to just being full-blown God, right? Um, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. He's already looking past the cross. He knows what he's going through. But do you notice how he says it all with, with, with absolute certainty, Corinne? Do you see that, right? Verse 29. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly, and without figures of speech. 30, now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So you see here, Uncle Dennis, they, they, they're at a place where they believe they get it, right? Now they don't realize that their faith is about to be rocked again when he's taken from them and uh, when he's crucified and when he's killed. It's going to be a, a, just a huge blow to their faith, right? Um, and then upon his resurrection and him showing himself to them, their faith will be solidified and, and never again will they, will they have doubts. Um, but it says, then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Listen to verse 30. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions, right? Um, no one needs to question him. Jesus doesn't need to, to give an answer to who he is. He doesn't need anyone, you know, he doesn't need to prove himself to anyone, so to speak. Does that make sense? Um, now we can see that you know all things. And again, where they get this from what he just said, I don't know, but, um, but they, they, they're all of a sudden are getting a revelation that, you know, it's starting to occur to them. It hasn't fully by any means that, that this guy is God right now. As I've said this before, when we look back 2000 years, it's, it's a lot easier for us having the whole story to piece it all together. Them having to live in it in the moment was, was immensely harder, right? Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. It's unbelievable that he's maybe two hours from being arrested. And then he's going to go on to be tortured and crucified. And now after three and a half years, they say this makes us believe that you came from God. And would any of us be any better? <laughs> right? Um, no. You know, if we were in the situation, I have little doubt I would be no better, right? This makes us believe that you came from God. I, if I was Jesus, I'd have been like, what, what, do you, what do you think I've been doing the last three and a half years? What, have you not heard anything I've told you? I mean, uh, this is just how it is with disciples. Now, again, 
you know, as a, you know, in Christian leadership, when you make disciples, they don't listen. You know what I'm saying? Nobody listens. This makes us believe that you came from God. Like I said, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have acted as graciously as Jesus did. I need to do better. Verse 31. You believe at last, Jesus answered. So that's verse 31. You believe at last, Jesus answered. Okay, that's, and he knows their hearts now that they, they genuinely believe. They, again, they still don't understand by any means the fullness. Because look at verse 31 or verse 32. But a time is coming and has come. So you believe it last, verse 31, verse 32. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. So they proclaim their belief. They proclaim their faith. They do believe that, that he is who he says he is, and it's genuine and it's right. But then he puts this on them, but a time is coming and has come. It's on them now. It could be in the next hour, two hours, right? A time, But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered. Each to his own home, you will leave me all alone. They will all desert him. They, they just have this incredible belief, right? They have this revelation of him that they hadn't before. They truly now believe that he came from God the Father. Jesus said, that's great. You do believe at last. But yet you're all going to abandon me. And again, when I was studying for this, again, I forget who said it. But it's incredible that even in all their belief, they will all still abandon him. I forget again which scholar said this again, might have been Spurgeon. But but he will never abandon them. He will never abandon us. They have this incredible faith, but yet he, he tells them that, that you'll all be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Again, I forget how they worded it, but at his greatest time of need, he had no one was there to comfort him. How nice it would be if they could have... They could have hung around again. I forget how it was worded, but basically if, you know, if they could have been there and just followed behind him and said, no, this is not true. Your accusations are not true. This, 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 he is real. He is the Messiah. He is the savior. I mean, wouldn't that have been nice if he could have had his boys kind of backing him up, right? Um, he said, you'll leave me all alone. He would, he would never leave them alone. But they all left him out of fear and abandoned him and left him alone. And then he says, yet I am not alone, for my father is with me. And that's a pretty, pretty powerful statement that my father is with me. The father and the son are together in this whole thing. You know, we, we always talk about you know, and rightly so, just the, the incredible work that Christ did on the cross, but the Father was with him. We don't understand the pain and the grief that it is for our Heavenly Father to have, to have seen God the Son, Jesus, his Son, Jesus, crucified and tortured and maligned and spit on 
and treated with such vulgarity. We don't understand the hurt and pain, right? It's incomprehensible what the father would have endured emotionally in whatever way that works when this happened to Jesus. But he said, yet I am not alone for my father is with me. And what's interesting, he experiences the presence of the father now, but I believe it's Matthew 27, 46, where, where he, that, that experience, that presence of the father, Jesus is going to experience a fracture of that. Because again, I think it's Matthew 27, 46, where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think it's Eloi, Eloi, Laba Sabachthani, right? Something like that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he became sin, right? Jesus, that, that relationship with the father, he, he didn't experience it anymore. He was experiencing, as I've said, some sort of fracture in that moment. But in this moment, even though everyone leaves him alone, he continually experiences the presence of the Father. And again, the Father and Son, the Son and Father, they're always together. And it's just a beautiful picture. And then we did 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Peace is only in Christ and it's not guaranteed. But in Christ we may have peace. And the more deeply we walk with Christ, the more deeply will be our peace. But it's not guaranteed. In this world you will have trouble. Trouble is guaranteed. Jesus just guaranteed it. In this world, you will have trouble. We will have difficulty and trials. He said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And all of us can take heart that Jesus Christ, our Lord, has overcome. We didn't overcome. He overcame. And even though we, we left him all alone, we wouldn't have done any different than these disciples did. We would want to, but we wouldn't have. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus, all alone, he did it. He overcame the world, so in Christ we can have peace. The peace is not based on us. It's based on him. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you and we worship you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you for your love and your mercy, and your favor, and your goodness, and your grace. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us these incredible words at your darkest hours, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that this has given to your people over the last 2,000 years. And you were willing to give these instructions, these teachings, these insights, this revelation while you were in your hardest moments. Holy Spirit, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We ask you to seal this to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.